0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, America. This is the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Lucas. I'm a land surveyor and attorney. We'll spend the next hour talking about land surveying and land surveyors. As always, your questions and comments are welcome. You can send them to Jeff at AmericasWebRadio.com. You can find out more about me at my personal website, www.lucasandcompany.com. Visit our website, check out some of our resources. Okay, um, it's, uh, it's me this morning, and um, we don't have a guest uh, here this morning, so we're going to pick up uh, where we left off last week. Uh, we were talking about uh, the case of uh, Lawson versus Wine Miller. Uh, Ohio Court of Appeals 1995, uh, a great case. Um, I use this case a lot. It was my favorite case for uh, probably 10 years uh, doing uh, seminars and seminar presentations because uh, it's, it's just got a lot of uh, interesting material in it. We know about the parties. We know about the surveyors. And um, it, it's a really good case. Uh, fact scenario and that's that's of course why we read while we read case law we read case law because um, and we i look for interesting cases because they'll uh, there'll be a, if the interesting cases have great fact scenarios and uh, based on those facts in uh, the opinion uh, the law is articulated and therefore um, uh, from a practicing standpoint for the, the surveyor um, knowing um, a lot of fact scenarios that are in cases, when you come up to a similar scenario in your practice, uh, you'll know what the law has to say about uh, about that scenario. So uh, that's why we study these cases. And the other reason we study uh, case law is because surveying, boundary surveying, which is primarily the focus of this program, uh, boundary surveying is uh, is fact intensive and it is uh heavily infused with court decisions as a general proposition uh boundary law isn't found in statutes um or uh or rules administrative code um and the 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 statutes uh, generally don't deal with uh property line location they'll deal with you know regulatory issues uh, maybe adverse possession is something that's statutorily driven um, and the rules that uh, created by the administrative board the regulatory boards are for uh, how to how to practice not not um, or the uh, the nuts and bolts of practice do's and don'ts uh, they don't really tell you uh, the practicing survey or how to uh, how to survey uh, that's where the court cases come in so, uh, unfortunately, we didn't finish this case last time, and uh, so I'm going to recap a few things to uh, bring us up to speed because uh, I do want to finish uh, the last uh, portion of this case, and then we'll talk about something else. So, uh, uh, if you were with me last time, you may recall. If you weren't with me last time, then I'm um, I'm, I'm giving you the the, the rundown of what we discussed last week so that we can uh finish this case off so we had two landowners uh this is lawson versus uh wine miller those aren't the landowners we had two landowners uh lawson betty j lawson and her husband george who uh sometime uh, prior to uh, this present case, he he became, he was deceased. So uh, it's it's Betty by herself, Betty Lawson, uh, in this case. And her neighbor to the south is uh, Gedright, and they had um, the Lawson's had uh, probably a few acres, maybe. We don't we're not told the size of their property, but they had enough property to want to uh, subdivide it, to want to break off a piece, a southern portion of their property. And, uh, and sell it you know for whatever reason, you know that's what people do. Maybe they were trying to uh, pad the nest egg, who knows? Uh, so but the property was large enough where they could uh, subdivide it uh, and sell off uh, an acreage piece. And that's, um, so that's how we that's how the case kind of started. Uh, Lawson's property is north of Gedrights. They share a common boundary. Gedright's north boundary is, Uh, ostensibly supposed to be uh, Lawson's southern boundary, and that's where the trouble begins. Apparently, uh, Lawson, uh, George, and uh, Gedright, I'm not quite sure what Gedright's uh, first name is, but um, they were having some sort of um, dispute over... Uh, the exact location of the common boundary line, Gedright's northern boundary, Lawson's southern boundary. And there were some problems. Um, There's um, apparently the legal descriptions of the Lawson and Gedright's property overlap. Now, what what that means is that uh, the deed, uh, Lawson's deed and Gedright's deed, both uh, describe a strip of land in their deeds they um, uh, that would ostensibly belong to to one or, or the other or they overlap that the legal descriptions overlap um therefore creating a um, well a problem uh, from a surveying standpoint that's a problem from a landowner standpoint that's a problem and also there's uh another problem with the Lawson deed is apparently uh... it doesn't close um, in other words um, it, it when you start from the beginning point we don't have a copy of the legal description so i can't tell you exactly what the problem is but it doesn't close means that you will when you're describing property you'll you'll there'll be a point of beginning and then you'll go back there'll be geometry bearings and distances going around the property and when you come all the way around back to the point of beginning Uh, the math doesn't work. Uh, It doesn't close, uh, as they say. In this case, the closure problem was 15 feet. So in other words, uh, if you started at the point of beginning for Lawson's property and uh, went east um, uh, 200 feet, went south 200 feet, went west 200 feet, uh, and then uh, came back um, um, 185 feet, you'll be fifteen feet short it doesn't close so that was one of the problems and there was an overlap problem so we talked about the overlap problem last week but uh... be that as it may um, the losses decided uh... they were having a little bit of a dispute with uh... uh mister Lawson and mr cadwright we're having a little bit of a dispute they they do what so many other people do they'll uh... they uh... they may uh... Th- take it upon themselves to measure their own property uh i call it the home depot home depot weekend project and that's probably what lawson and gidright did the, the, you can get yourself a tape measure down at home depot you can uh, get a, a wheel a measuring wheel uh, any number of ways uh, you can measure your property and they 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 had an idea that there was a problem. So Lawson, uh, in the course of deciding to sell the uh, southern portion of his property, hired Miller to come out and survey the property. He came out and surveyed the property and made a determination of where the common boundary line was between um, Lawson and Gidright. Uh, so this sort of settled the dispute uh, for a little while. And uh, Lawson built a fence on the on the surveyed line that uh, Juan Miller showed him. And Juan Miller also subdivided the property and prepared a legal description for a deed. And Lawson sold to Bartman and Friends uh, the southern portion of their property, which abuts Gedwright. Uh Things were uh, <clears throat> things were going um, along just fine. The survey took place in 1985. The conveyance of Bartman and Friends took place in 1985, and then eight years later, for whatever reason, by this time George has passed away. So Betty Lawson is um, is still in her um, in her original home. Bartman and Friends have been in place for for eight years. Getright <laughs> brought a lawsuit. Uh, against Bartman and Friends for encroachment trespass, um, the overlap situation came up again, and uh, Gedrite sued Bartman and Friends over the over the overlap, and the overlap also happened to be fifteen feet, and uh, that uh, that boundary that was the boundary dispute that went to court. That boundary dispute went to court, uh, and uh, uh, and uh, hired surveyor Petskowitz. And uh, Bartman and Friends, when they got the lawsuit, they, uh, they forced uh, Betty Lawson to join the lawsuit because the Lawsons had not told Bartman and Friends about the, uh, the existing dispute uh, when they brought their property. So Betty was brought into this boundary dispute case. And um, the surveyor for Get Right was Petzkowitz and Lawson. Betty Lawson hired Kosler. Uh, as her surveyor, in essence, the surveyors agreed that the Gidright deed um, um, was the correct, uh, identified the correct location of the common boundary line between what was formerly the Lawsons property and the Gidright property, and it was uh, to the tune of 15 feet. So Gidright wins the boundary dispute case. And because the Lawsons had not informed Vartman and friends. Of this uh, pending dispute, of this of this ongoing dispute between the Lawson's and Gedright over the 15 feet, all of the uh, charges in the case were um, were um, were charged to Betty Lawson. She had to pay uh, to make everything right. She all the costs went to her. So here Betty Lawson is, and um, she's um, um, apparently. Uh, presumably, uh, old, you know, up in years, her husband's passed away. They probably sold that piece of property to Bartman and Friends to, uh, you know, to pad the uh, uh, the nest egg, and now uh, she ends up in a boundary dispute case, uh, and she has to make Bartman and Friends whole. So we don't know. We're not told uh, much about that case, other than that there was a boundary dispute and uh so one of the immediate questions would be well why didn't lawson uh hire Weinmiller miller to come be her surveyor uh in the boundary dispute case he's the one that made the boundary determination well we just have to read between the lines on that my my uh assumption is she didn't know who Weinmiller miller was her husband had taken care of that deal getting Weinmiller miller out there to survey the property she may or may not have known. Uh, well, probably didn't know about Weinmiller. Why? Why would if she knew about Weinmiller, knew who Weinmiller was, knew who the surveyor was eight years earlier, who surveyed her property? Certainly, um, she would have had Weinmiller uh, come into court to, if nothing else, to defend the survey. So, um, but that didn't happen. She hired Cosler. And um an assumption can also be made that she went to the yellow pages uh, under surveyors or surveying and uh, went down the yellow pages found the first surveyor in her vicinity uh, she's uh his last name she's up near the top of the list Cosler she hires Cosler Cosler comes out and uh, they um the surveyors both the surveyors are great, which is um in in and of itself uh, in and of itself a uh, sort of a rare occurrence but uh, they both agreed and um, she lost the boundary dispute case had to make um, Bartman and Franz whole probably had to make Gedright whole uh, that cost uh, un, untold dollars and then she ends up she finds out about Weinmiller at court then she ends up suing Miller for negligence so we'll pick up after the break uh, on that
1: 800 438 0387 or go to quickstate.com that's Q U I K S T A K E dot com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy. Sh-
0: or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on America's com.
1: And one more time, I want to remind everybody call Quick Steaks. Order yours if you've never tried them. They've got the greatest steak. They're very lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to read, and very easy to carry. You can carry a hundred of them when you're carrying less than ten wooden stakes, the old wooden stakes. You'd have to have a jackass to carry the wooden stakes where you can go with quick stakes, plus the fact that Parker Davis makes a wonderful marker. And uh, they're going to be running a special on them very shortly. So call them and see. And tell them that you heard about Quickstakes on America's Web Radio. And keep supporting us at America's Web Radio. We appreciate it. And the fact that we're the only radio station in the country that has Jeff Lucas doing a fantastic job of a radio show for us. And we look at that face. He's smiling like from ear to ear right now, and uh, I just made him have a sip of coffee. But anyway, we appreciate you all listening to America's Web Radio. And now back to Jeff.
0: Okay, folks, welcome back. All right, so Betty Lawson loses the boundary dispute case with Kid Wright. And uh, so during the course of that, sir, of, of that boundary dispute case, uh, obviously – uh, Get Right Surveyor Petskowitz Comes into Court Testifies uh, uh, Betty Lawson's uh, Surveyor Cosler Came in And testified And they're All pointing The finger At, uh, at Weinmiller Who's Obviously Not in Court So she Finds out uh, who, who the Surveyor Was Eventually Finds out Who the Surveyor Was Who surveyed Her property And after She loses The boundary Dispute Case Of course She turns Around And sues Weinmiller And Weinmiller And Associates uh, for negligence now it's it's important to keep in mind that's the only charge against wine mower is negligence the only charge um, and the, the elements of negligence as we learned from the case uh, just walking down the street uh, man on the street uh, negligence uh, not in the professional context is you have to establish that the tortfeasor uh, the defendant Owed the plaintiff a duty um, that the tortfeasor defendant uh, failed in that duty. Um, causation because of the failure damages the plaintiff's damaged. Okay, you've got to prove all four elements. If you miss one element, if you miss one element, uh, you do, you're not going to get your negligence charge. Uh, now, in Ohio, what our, the court tells us is, basically, the duty already owing because they have three elements to professional negligence. That the professional fell below the duty of care, that's generally uh, considered to be the standard of care, causation because the professional fell below the duty of care, Damages. The plaintiff is damages. There, so in this case, there's only three elements that they have to prove. Now, how do we how do we establish how do we establish what the standard of care is in a professional negligence action? Um, well, generally speaking, that's where expert witnesses come in. Uh, that's where expert witnesses come in. The expert witness has to come in uh, in a professional negligence case and has to state unequivocally, that um, the professional, the defendant, the tortfeasor, fell below the standard of care. His his, his or her activity um, uh, was not reasonably prudent, but the standard is what the reasonably prudent practitioner would do in like or similar circumstances. Uh, So the, the Expert coming in and testifying in a professional negligence action has to testify to the standard in the community, and that's that's a that's a point that some experts don't uh, who testify in court don't really uh, get, or they're not they're not um, really um, um, prepared. I will say um, to to testify. As to the standard in the community, okay? You can't. You, the expert doesn't come in and testify as to what he or she would have done in those same circumstances. You have to testify as to what all other reasonably, what the in the community of surveyors. You got to testify as to what all other reasonably prudent practitioners would do in like or similar circumstances. Um. <clears throat> And if you don't, uh, the, as the expert, if you don't point the finger at Miller and say he fell below the standard of care, then you haven't established uh, that Weinmiller did fall below the standard of care. That's that's how it has to be done. And that's what happened in this case. Uh, 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 when Lawson sued Miller for negligence, she hired the two surveyors who were in the boundary dispute case. Uh, this, this this seems logical. If I lost the boundary dispute case because of uh, of Petskowitz, uh, Petskowitz and Kosler's uh, testimony and their surveying that they did in the boundary dispute case, if I if I lost that boundary dispute case, why not why not hire Petskowitz and Kosler to come in and point the finger at Weinmiller in court? So um, at this point. This is where things, uh, uh, where the wheels kind of came off, uh, off the cart, okay? Um, it's obvious that um, when they went to the negligence case that there were no depositions during the discovery phase of the trial. Because uh, what one says in court and his son, their testimony in court catches uh lost them completely by supply, by surprise, and both Kosler and Peskowitz failed to to say that Weinmiller Miller was negligent. Uh, here, here it is. They're, they're talking about the existence of the overlap. So they're talking about the boundary dispute case in this negligence case, obviously because uh, Weinmiller Miller's being charged for negligence for uh, identifying the wrong property line between Lawson and Gedright. Gedright won the 15-foot overlap. Although neither expert specifically opined that, this is right out of the opinion, although neither expert specifically opined that Thomas Miller was negligent for not discovering the overlap problem, they both indicated that a properly conducted survey would have uncovered the problem. But they didn't do it. They didn't pull the trigger. They didn't say Juan Miller was negligent. Maybe Juan Miller made a mistake, but a mistake, a mistake does not does not prove negligence. A professional practitioner, whatever whatever your professional practice is, you could be a doctor, lawyer, land surveyor, engineer, architect. Um, a professional, uh, uh, the stock and trade of any professional. The stock and trade of any professional is an opinion that's that's what they do they they don't put it's not brick and mortar they don't they don't pour concrete they don't build buildings it's an opinion that's all you get when you go visit your doctor you get an opinion you don't get a guarantee uh the doctor's going to run some uh run some tests on you do some examinations but in the final analysis all you get from your doctor you might get a prescription But all you get from your doctor, from your professional practitioner, is an opinion, an opinion on your situation. It could be wrong. It could be wrong. The doctor's opinion could be wrong. Your attorney's opinion can be wrong. Your land surveyor's opinion can be wrong. Your engineer's opinion can be wrong. That doesn't mean they're negligent. Wrong is not one of the elements of negligence. You vote a duty. Now, certainly in the doctor-patient uh, context, the doctor owes the patient a duty. In the attorney-client uh, context, the attorney owes, uh, owes the patient, uh, owes, owes the client a duty. Same thing with the land surveyor. Land surveyor owes the client a duty. The duties, is, and and possibly even to get right, into to other adjoiners. Um, that's not universal in, in the United States of America, that... A uh, duty is uh, is owed by practitioners who come into contact with who through their practice come into contact with people. That's not uh, that's not universal. Some states have said the, the fact that your license creates a duty to all you come in contact with uh, from a professional surveying standpoint. That would be when you survey one piece of property, you owe a duty to all the surrounding adjoiners. Other states haven't quite gone that far. Uh, there has to be more of a, of a direct connection uh, for the duty to be owed. But in, in Ohio, we, 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 we saw it in this case, the duty's owing, simply because Juan Miller is a licensed professional surveyor and his, his company. Uh, so the duty's owed. Failure in that duty, falling below the standard of care, that's, that's where Petskowitz and Kosler were supposed to come in. They were supposed to say, Juan Miller, you're negligent. They didn't do it. They didn't. There were only three elements. There were only three elements. The standard of care fell, He fell below the standard of care. No other reasonably prudent practitioner in like or similar circumstances, Your Honor, would have made that mistake. That is just that's that fault. That's below what the reasonably prudent. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. Now, it could have, the mistake could have caused causation, the damages to Lawson. She was damaged. She had to, to, we don't know how much she had to pay. She had to give Vartman and France another 15 feet of land. She had to give up the 15 feet on the south side of Vartman and France. They could have had a garage sitting on that that 15-foot strip. They could have had their septic tank in that 15-foot strip. They could have had a block wall. Well, they, they built the fence. The fence had to be moved. That could have been a hundred, hundreds of thousands of dollars in damages. We don't know. They didn't tell us. Uh, so she turns around and sues one more for negligence. One charge. Negligence. And the two, uh, the two experts she hired didn't pull the trigger case was over at that point in time, but it kept going. Matter of fact, they lost, they lost the case at the trial court level, and then they ended up appealing. That's the opinion we're reading here. They ended up appealing. So Betty goes through a boundary dispute case. Betty then turns around and initiates a negligence case against Weinmiller, loses the case. She lost the case and then appealed. That's what we're reading right now, the appeal. So she's been into in two in two court cases, and uh, up on one appeal. And why did they even appeal this? If they didn't prove the elements of negligence, why didn't they? Why did they appeal this? Um, because they didn't. Re- I guess they didn't realize that they didn't prove the elements of negligence. Actually, we'll we'll read the charges uh, again. Uh, the charges of error at the trial court level um again when we uh, when we get back uh, after the break but um, um yeah so um she sues one miller her experts don't pull the trigger and um miller uh, then can't be negligent because her experts uh, in essence uh, didn't pull the trigger on Miller. If you're going to testify in court as an expert, you need to be willing to pull the trigger or don't take the case. Because if you can't pull the trigger, you're not going to get negligence. All right, we'll be back uh, after this break.
1: And we appreciate you listening to the only land-serving show in the country on America's Web Radio with Jeff Lucas. And we certainly appreciate it and want to remind everybody that – following this uh we still have a general that's doing a show richard dix unfortunately the government asked him to uh, take charge of logistics farm for the pandemic and uh although we're hearing that it's down he's still working uh, night and day getting moving whatever needs to be moved moved and uh, he's in charge of the continental united states as far as uh hospitals are working with the government on making sure the hospitals have what they need and in if in case anything happens uh he's in charge of making sure they're covered so the ppe is its call uh he handles that as well so uh we're in good hands with general richard Dix. we'll have a show david's pick on following um the land surveying hour so want to remind you too that uh it's hot out there if you haven't noticed and I know a way to, that you can keep it cooler and that's by using quick stakes instead of the old heavy wooden stakes you can use quick stakes and uh, they're easy to use they're much lighter weight and uh, then on top of that is the markers and you can go to quickstake.com and look at the markers look at the quick stakes and order them and you'll be glad you did so with that being said We'll be back right after this. Quick stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quick stakes. Did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stakes. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick stakes. Your back-friendly stake. We we're covering it all. Good. I'm You're listening to we'll America's we'll Web Radio the on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you three, for listening. One and it yours. Welcome back,
0: folks. Uh, Jeff Lucas with Surveyors Hour on America's Web Radio, and we're uh, we're trying to wrap up the uh, the case of uh, the Ohio Court of Appeals case of Lawson versus Juan Miller, Thomas Weinmiller Miller and Associates, uh, nineteen ninety five. Uh, okay, so uh, depositions. Obviously, um, Wang Miller. Um, uh, obviously, uh, Lawson uh, did not um, take depositions during the discovery phase. Uh, for a couple, of, we know this for a couple of reasons. Well, one is uh, she depositions cost money, and so we don't know how much she uh, she suffered, uh, how much loss she suffered. Because of the boundary dispute case, uh, but we do know that um, she's uh, working on the cheap here because um, she doesn't even know what her own, uh, her and her attorney obviously don't even know what their own experts are going to say. And matter of fact, I was given this case. I was uh, going over this case in Ohio. Like I said, this was my favorite case for about ten years. I was going over this case in actually in Ohio. And uh, Mr. Cosler was uh, actually in uh, the audience, and I got a chance to talk to him because you're going to hear some of his testimony here uh, when we get back to the case, uh, which sounds just uh, totally uh, ridiculous. Um, what he told me was, and this is, this is a little bit hard to believe, but what he told me was he didn't know anything about this case until about uh, a week before. Actually, he said a couple of days before. Now, maybe that's true, I don't know, but during the discovery process, uh, there, there's, a, there's a court schedule and um, the, both sides have to name their experts uh, by a certain deadline before the trial and um, then there would be subpoenas uh, if necessary, so I, I don't know, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say Mr. Cosworth had it wrong. But what he told me was he didn't know anything about this case until a few days before. He wasn't prepared. Uh, he hadn't looked over his survey, um, and possibly that was the same. Uh, Mr. Petskowitz was deceased uh, at the time that uh, I did this. Uh, uh, I did this case, so we didn't know. Uh, I, I didn't talk, or he wasn't there. I don't remember. Uh, one of the parties was one of one of the surveyors involved here was deceased at the time I did this. Or but Peskowitz, it was either him or he he wasn't uh, wasn't there at the conference. I I couldn't talk to him. And the other thing I learned um, from Mr. Cosner was uh, Betty Lawson's uh, attorney. Betty Lawson's attorney in this case was uh, a probate attorney, her probate attorney that had probated her husband's will. And uh, you know, and that's how do people how do people find Attorneys for boundary dispute cases. This brings up an interesting point. How do you find an attorney for boundary dispute case? Well, most people find an attorney by either knowing an attorney. uh, For instance, um, your um, the the probate attorney that probates your deceased husband's will. That's that appears to be the situation here, and you ask them, "Hey." I've got a boundary dispute case. Um, I need, um, or a negligence case. I want to sue this surveyor for negligence. Uh, You know, I need an attorney. Can you do it? Apparently, the probate attorney says, yes, I can handle this case. Um, Obviously, that didn't work too well for Mrs. Lawson because the attorney apparently didn't know the elements of negligence because they lost the trial court that they lost the trial uh, the 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 the, uh, uh, the the lawsuit at the trial court level uh, because they didn't they didn't prove the elements of negligence cosler and petskwitz in essence didn't pull the trigger so they didn't and then weimdler got on the uh, Thomas and David his son got up on the, each got up on the stand and they testified about the overlap issue. And what what the testimony, um, their testimony was that they had done the research, all of the research required. Now, Kosler and Petskowitz said that Miller's made a mistake. Well, they got up and they said they didn't make a mistake. Uh, Kosler and Petskowitz said, uh, in a mistake does not mean you're negligence. Kosler and Petskowitz got up and said, well, you know, a, Wine Miller should have found these monuments. Juan Miller should have done this. Juan Miller should have done that. But, uh, uh, the Wine Miller got on the stand and said, we did do this, we did do that. We researched uh, the deeds. We researched joiners deeds. We found the monuments. What we found was that uh, the Lawson and Gedright's properties before the, before the uh, conveyance of conveyance department of Friends, that the Lawson's deed... Uh, was senior to the Gedrights deed. This is called jun- a junior-senior relationship. That would mean that uh, Lawson and Gedrights property came out of a common grantor. You have to have a common grantor to have a junior-senior rights issue. And the common grantor first conveyed out the Lawson track and then conveyed out the Gedright track, and the legal descriptions overlapped. So the, uh, the theory of under uh, on uh, junior uh, junior senior relationship is Lawson would have been conveyed the 15 foot strip first, and then when Gedbright's uh, deed comes out, uh, ostensibly creating an overlap, uh, that 15 foot overlap was already conveyed to Lawson, therefore cannot be conveyed to Gedbright. That's the junior senior relationship. And uh, the way to handle a junior-senior relationship uh, when you're, as a surveyor is, uh, well, first of all, you got to know there's a junior-senior relationship. So you have overlapping deeds. Uh, the first question would be, is this a junior-senior relationship or is this just overlapping deeds and we're going to have to go somewhere else with this? Uh, an easy way to do that, <clears throat> to figure out if there's a junior-senior relationship, is uh, hire uh, a title company to do uh, – uh, to um, do an abstract on two properties and see if they can get back to a common grantor. If you can, if you get back to a common grantor, uh, meaning that uh, someone who owned the loss and Get Right properties together or was part of a larger parent tract uh, out of a common grantor, then you can have a junior-senior relationship. Just because one deed is older is dated and older than another deed does not mean you have a, a junior-senior relationship. You could just, the, uh, the the younger deed, the chain of title of the younger deed, could have been the senior conveyance if you go back in the chain of title and, and get back to a common grantor. Uh, and the, the fundamental principle of, of reading uh, uh, reading the deeds, for a junior-senior relationship is the the, Generally speaking, there could be some exceptions to this, like adverse possession and some other things that change the scenario, but the the senior gets what the senior's deed conveyed, and the junior gets what's left over, either more or less. Um, so the way you read a senior deed is if they get what they get. The way you read a... Con- uh, you, in order to properly interpret the junior deed you have to read it in light of the senior conveyance. So you can't just pick up Gedright's deed, as apparently Petchkowitz did when he surveyed the property, and just lay it on the ground. Uh, you have to, if there's a junior-senior relationship, you have to, the the southern boundary of Lawson's property is the northern boundary of Gedright's property, no matter what the title documents say. It has to be, read, the junior always has to be read in light of the senior and that's how the and that was that's how the the that's how um that that was the determination that Miller testified to that that they made when they surveyed the property back in 1985. now weinmiller wasn't around in 1993 when the boundary dispute came up and for whatever reason uh gidwright Wins the boundary dispute case, and if if it's true, and it would be it, it would be easy enough to figure out if if one was lying, it would be easy enough to to prove. All you would need is a chain of title on the two properties, which um, Lawson doesn't have. Lawson, because why doesn't she have a chain? Of, because the the testimony obviously. Came as a surprise and shock uh, because what did what did uh, what did Lawson charge uh, as the uh, the errors in the case? She asserted that the um, she asserted that um, the Lawson's assertion that the evidence at trial establishing Thomas Weinmiller's Miller's professional negligence was uncontroverted is based entirely on her contention that the evidence offered by Thomas Y. Miller trial could not have been taken seriously by a jury because the testimony was contradictory, self-serving, vague, unresponsive, and argumentative. Those were charges um, as, to, um, as to mistakes made at trial. If you're going to take a case up uh, on, uh, on appeal... Uh, you have to charge mis- that mistakes were made at the trial court level um, all right having a little technical issue here uh, okay well I lost sight of David and uh, now I'm gonna have to basically kind of guess when the break is coming up so um, but, so they didn't know um, they didn't know uh, what one will what wine miller was going to say uh they didn't have they didn't do depositions uh they're working on the cheap they um they didn't they didn't do they didn't verify um uh what um wine miller had to say about uh, the title uh and the overlap and the senior junior relationship they didn't verify any of that so the next issue that comes up um, that was the overlap issue, is the effect of a 15-foot closure problem. Uh, and um, we're we're going to do that 15-foot closure problem as soon as I can see uh, where we are. I'm trying to rejoin. Uh, okay. I'll have to wait for David to give me a, some type of signal on the break, but... Uh, We're going to pick back up with uh, the effect of a 15-foot closure problem um, here shortly. Let me see here. Sorry, folks. I'm trying to reconnect while talking, and that's difficult for me. Okay. Okay. Well, all right.
1: um, Okay, we'll take that break.
0: I believe we're supposed to be taking a break right about now. So we'll come back after the break.
1: Quick Stakes or go to quickstate.com. That's Q U I K S T A K E.com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for Quickstakes today. And remember that number for Quickstakes is 800-438 And when you call them, tell them you heard about them on America's Web Radio on the Land Surveying Show. This show is done for you, the land surveyor. And Jeff Lucas does a fantastic job every Monday. And uh, tell your friends, your peers, about the only land surveying show in the country. And after that, we uh, do a show with our favorite general, General Richard Dix, called Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. But your government decided to call him back up. A general is always a general, and uh, he was called back up because of his skills in logistics, and he's handling the logistics now for all of the pandemic all over the United States and any place that uh, we have property where we stick a flag. General Dix is taking care of it making sure that we're prepared for anything So, with that being said, always stay locked and loaded. We'll be back with Jeff right after this quick I.D. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
0: Welcome back, folks. Uh, I uh, I can see David again, so all is right in the world. Uh, All right. So, um... Let's wrap this up. I want to wrap this case up this week um, so we can get on to something else next week, maybe a guest. If you have any suggestions on guests, send them, send them to me. I'll certainly reach out and try to get that person, um, suggested person on the program. We can talk about surveying. All right, so the, uh, the, there were two issues. One was the overlap. Uh, Juan Miller took care of the overlap. The other was the effect of a 15-foot closure problem. So all of the experts who just filed a trial agreed that the loss indeed contained a closure problem 15 feet. However, the experts did not agree on what the professional standard is for a surveyor when encountering such a significant closure problem. I've seen worse. Added, added deed with a 172-foot uh, bust, as we say, or closure problem. Um, so some of this is going to be, here's where Cosner and Petskowitz are, are going off the rails, okay, as surveyors. Lawson's experts both testified that closure problems are often encountered in the surveying profession. Kosler testified that in in deeds issued prior to 1970, closure problems occur about 50% of the time. Kosler also testified that a survey is required to have closure, although a surveyor should not force closure. Notwithstanding the testimony from Lawson's experts about the frequency of the occurrence, of closure problems, both Petskiewicz and Kosler testified that surveyors should not write a description of property which has a closure pro- uh, uh, discrepancy as significant as 15 feet. Petskiewicz testified that in such a case, he would most likely notify the property owner of the problem and have them file new deeds rather than complete the survey. Alright, let's think about that in a second. Got a 15 foot closure problem. How's the attorney going to find the closure problem? How are, they going to, how are they going to modify the deeds in order to uh, correct the closure problem that's what surveyors get hired for to determine where the, where the error is where the closure error is it doesn't close by 15 feet on the ground every piece of property closes this is a paper issue The problem, though, is where do we apply the 15 feet? It it, it could have been an overlap of 15 feet, which maybe that was, and that was part of our overlap problem, or it could be a shortage of 15 feet. But if you go out to a piece of property on the ground with four corners or however many corners a piece of property has on the ground, and you walk it on the ground, you're you're not going to fall in a hole somewhere. Every piece of property closes. This is a problem with the paper. This is a problem with the description of the property on paper. Who is supposed to... Do you think an attorney is going to go out there and find out where the closure problem is? No. This calls for uh, the introduction of extrinsic evidence in the the interpretation of the deed. Okay? The. the deed. The deed is ambi- if it doesn't close by 15 feet, it's ambiguous. In every jurisdiction in the United States, when you have an ambiguous deed, meaning more than one, uh, more than one meaning, uh, there's more than one possible. Uh, uh, possibility of the location of that property on the ground, if it doesn't close by 15 feet, that's, that's pat, what they call patently ambiguous. On the face of it, it's ambiguous. It has more than one meaning. The only way to find the true intent in the deed at that point in time, when you have a patent ambiguity, is you have to go uh, find extrinsic evidence, that stuff outside the deed, and collateral evidence, that's stuff that the that comes alongside the deed. Go find the collateral and extrinsic evidence to properly interpret the deed. Who's gonna do that? An attorney is not gonna go do that. An attorney can't do that. An attorney doesn't have the wherewithal to do that. That's a surveying problem. All right. So anyway, Petskowicz testified in such a case. He would most likely notify the property owner, you got a problem. You need to file new deeds. Where do I put the 15 feet, Mr. Petskowitz? Oh, I don't know. Similarly, Cosler stated that he would not attempt to correct the closure problem because he would not know the proper way to do so. Oh, my goodness. So I'm going to give Cosler the benefit of the doubt here. I'm going to, he was caught by surprise. He, he didn't look at his survey. He's probably not even getting paid. You see, this is what, this is, this is a, a, a trap that a lot of surveyors fall in, okay? They did a survey. There's a boundary dispute, or maybe now we're doing, after the survey, we're charging uh, Weinmiller with negligence, and uh, they, the, the one of the parties or both the parties are working on the cheap. They call up the surveyor who did the survey and say, hey, you got to get in here and defend this survey. because they're, they're wanting to pay that, uh, that surveyor the uh, statutory $25 a day uh, for their services. And this is what you get. The, uh, the, Mr. Plaintiff, Mrs. Plaintiff, this is what you get. You get the most ridiculous uh, testimony uh, that you can come up with. If he doesn't know how to uh, handle a, cl- a closure Mr. Cosler needs to turn in his uh, survey license um, Thomas uh, let's see where was I C- similar to Cosler stated that he would not attempt to correct the closure problem because he would not know the proper way to do so now what did he just say up here before that he said that Cosler testified that, uh, that in deeds issued prior to 1970. Closure problems occur about 50% of the time. And guess what? Those 50%, uh, 50% of the properties in the state of Ohio are sitting right next to the other 50% of the properties in the state of Ohio. In essence, what Cause is saying is, no prior to 1970, he would not know how. No piece of property in the state of Ohio can be surveyed. You want to talk about you want to talk about what was what was the quote from uh, what was the quote from um, um, Lawson's attorney? Could not have been taken seriously by a reasonable jury. It was contradictory, self serving, vague, unresponsive, and argumentative. That's what they charged to Wine Miller's testimony. You could say the very same thing for Petskowitz and Cosmer here. Further, Cosmer opined that it was a mistake for Thomas Miller to have attempted to correct a closure problem. It was a mistake. Let's assume it was a mistake. A mistake does not is not per se negligent. It's not even one of the elements of negligence. You can make a mistake and not be negligent. If everything else you did, you can have a wrong opinion as a professional. That's all professionals have is an opinion. And not be negligent. You can have a wrong opinion as as a doctor, but if you did everything that the reasonably prudent practitioner would do in like or similar circumstances, and you just got it wrong, well, you just got it wrong. And there's no damages. And there's no damages. They didn't pull the trigger. However, contradicting the opinions of Lawson's experts, the Wine Millers testified that their completion of the survey and correction of the closure problem was in conformity with the standards of, surveying, of the surveying profession. The Wine Millers explained that surveyors are hired for the very purpose of exercising their professional judgment about boundary disputes and inconsistencies in deeds. Hooray for you, Mr. Wine Miller! We actually have a surveyor on board the very purpose of exercising their professional judgment and giving an opinion on where the 15 foot error is. How much are you going to find it? A survey of property <coughs> unless it's called for in the deed is by definition extrinsic evidence. Extrinsic evidence. is If the deed doesn't close by 15 feet, it, the deed on its face is patently ambiguous, it's not going to tell you, it can't tell you where the 15-foot closure problem is. The only way to do that is through extrinsic evidence. And by definition, unless called for in the deed, which then it would be collateral evidence because it comes alongside the deed, the deed called for it, um, Extrinsic ev- a, a survey of property is, by definition, extrinsic evidence. David Weinmiller stated that when the deed does not close, as is often the case, the surveyor's job to work things out. Now, what he—if he—if <clears throat> so, working things out, I assume is—is is what he's talking about there. Basically, doing a survey. I, I go to the field. I follow the deed, and I'm going to get to some place on the ground where fifteen, where I'm missing fifteen feet, or there's fifteen feet too much. That's. That's considered, uh, well, it's a mistake, but it's con- probably considered to be a scrivener's error. Now, some surveyors, at least, you know, I was taught, you, you, I was kind of taught what these guys uh, are, are talking about here. This is 1995, this is, a, you know, uh, a little while ago, uh, 25 years ago. <clears throat> This was this was probably what surveyors were you know were being taught at the time. You, you don't do, that's a that's a legal problem. You don't you you don't have the qualifications to deal with that. There's a there's a lot of survey mythology uh, that I've I've come to realize that, that surveying in, in many respects is uh, practices a belief system. Uh, surveyors just believe they're supposed to do this. They just believe they're supposed to do that and um uh, what they don't real and one thing that uh i guess was an epiphany in my own uh survey career after law school uh where i learned how to uh, research uh the law uh relative to boundaries and, and other law one of the epiphanies i had was uh the concept that uh the, any boundary determination is a two, is a is a is a is a, uh, um, is, a quest- is a is a it's a two part question the determination of any boundary is a two part question there's a title question that's the legal question what is the property and then there's a factual question that's the surveyor's question <clears throat> given what the property is where is it located on the face of the earth that's a factual question a closure problem is a factual question where is it located on the face of the earth? Where is the error? So the only way you can identify an error like that is through um, generally speaking would be with a survey of the property uh, and by a surveyor. It's not a legal question. It's a factual question. The legal question is what's the property? And that's generally going to be in a subdivision that will be lot 9 of Garfunkel subdivision in the uh, public land survey system. It could be uh, the southeast quarter, of the northwest quarter, section township and range. That's what the property is. And a meets and bounds description, which these descriptions probably were a loss and get right, um, it would be uh, that property described in the meets and bounds. And that was the problem here with the, uh, with the 15-foot closure problem, is the meets and bounds didn't close. So 15 feet had to be uh, needed to be found, and that's what uh, that's what Juan Miller testified that he did. He found the 15 feet and he, and he corrected the closure problem. Okay, folks, that's it for this week. Uh, join us again next week for the Surveyors Hour. I'm Jeff Lucas, and uh, have a good day. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.